are a W-2 capitalist. You are addressing the gap between your successful, fulfilling W-2 job and building wealth for your family through real estate investing. You are ready to earn, invest, repeat. Welcome to the W-2 Capitalist Podcast. Now, let's get to work. Here's your host, Jay Helms. All right, so everybody, uh, Jake and Gino, if they need an introduction to you, I'm sorry. What rock have you been? No, I'm just joking. I know a lot of you guys are getting started. These guys, I met you guys through a podcast you did on Bigger Pockets. You've been on my podcast now. My biggest concern when I've talked to you before is how in the hell do I keep up with you, right? Because you're all just, Jake's talk so freaking fast, and it's awesome. We're going to uh, downshift. Gino's more my style. We're, we're going to so. rock it in like second gear. <laughs> I thought he was the one that talked fast. I do, no, bro. No, no. I got to do the Barry White voice where it's slow down. The Chris Voss DJ voice. I'm going to try to practice yes. that today, okay? Try to slow it down a little bit. Need your late night DJ voice. <laughs> so, guys, we just wrapped up with Bill Allen. He talked a lot about mindset. We are, you know, trying to raise money for Operation Underground Railroad. Had a little presentation at the beginning of that, but this is your time, right? Tell me about the railroad that you're raising money for. Yeah, so I started in 2000. 13, I believe. They, it was started by Tim Ballard. Tim Ballard is an ex-special ops guy. Started seeing these girls being trafficked in other foreign countries. Couldn't do anything because of political issues, right? And he said, enough of that. I'm going to go out on my own and start doing this. You know, they estimate there's 2 million kids across the world that are wrapped up in that ugly, disgusting world. And so it's just one of the things I found out about this organization a few years ago. I've started donating to it. This year was my biggest year yet to say, okay, I want to I help raise $10,000. And then Bill Allen challenged me. He goes, Jay, 10's a drop in the bucket. Do 50. So hence that, now Summit, and we're doing this. So, uh, just All right. Well, listen, we're, we're, we're going to knock a, a G off of that for you right now. Didn't, you know, didn't even know that this was for charity, but uh, Jake and Gino's got you for a thousand bucks, my man. Appreciate wow. that. Wow. Well, I've got five doors. I got chill bumps, man. Yeah. I mean, that, that hits That's hard. awesome. That hits yeah. home right now. We're all in the thump. We're all about fear. But can you yeah. imagine living in that world? Can you imagine that? So, you know, the gratitude has to be out there, right? You have to wake up in the morning and be grateful. Yeah. And, you know, I interviewed their development manager, Gary McIntosh, a couple of weeks ago on the podcast. And he, he talked about, you know, the, the traffickers, they have no uh, regard for what he called their, their product, right? And it's, it's crazy to think of how, hey, it's a human, it's a product, but they have no safety or regard for it. So who, they don't care that COVID-19 is out there. They're just going for business as normal, right? Mm-hmm. So pretty incredible what they do and all that. But Jake, thank you very much. That was a huge surprise. I didn't know that was fun. I didn't know we were here for charity. I feel even better about this. This is great. Oh, awesome. So Awesome. And you know, it's my and fault for not communicating that. No, no, no. Listen, I, I, I don't read emails well. It's definitely not on you, my man. I take full accountability and responsibility for that. And here's the key and why this is going to be so impactful, because we can make a change in the world when we have the ability to do it. And, you know, folks, if you don't like money, that's fine. But money is a vehicle and it can do things to help the world become a better place. And look, you know, right now we just did that. So we're going to keep going on that theme and we're going to talk about how to create wealth today using our three-step proprietary framework. I'm going to steal the screen share here and, and get this baby cranked up because it's extremely important. You can do so much more good 
with a million, 10 million, 20 million, $50 million in your bank account than you can do with zero. And, and I think, you know, we just proved that. So let's get this baby cranked up. G Daddy, how you doing today, my friend? Mr. Stenziano, I haven't talked to you in about 20 minutes. I'm doing as good as I was 20 minutes ago. So uh, it's been a great week. It's been a really, I mean, the week has just flown by and it's really about mindset, right? I've been trying to stay busy. I've been trying to stay positive. And how do I do that? I surround myself with make it happen people like you and Josh and Jen and the Rand fam. So that's the only way I've been able to get through these last couple of months. Everything's changing one, but you know what? It's all going to get back to normal in a few months. And that's what's going to happen. We have to prepare ourselves right now. We have to be able to pivot. We have to be able to be flexible. We have to be able to learn and adapt. And that's what's going on. Things are changing. The finance world is changing daily. The government keeps putting out new programs, PPP. I mean, my head is starting to spin on all this stuff, but this is where we have to stay engaged. This is where we have to have a big, big, you know, access to our, to our community and to our team members. And this is what we're going to be talking about throughout this presentation. And uh, before we get into this too, you know, too much further, Jay, thank you so much, Jay Helms, for having us on and give us the opportunity to, uh, to reach the folks today. So I really appreciate that. Absolutely. And I'm going to sit here in the background to not, I'm going to turn my camera on. I'm going to be distracted. This is y'all. Take it away. You, you did a good job. I'm just going to hear if you need me. Sure. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. So I think, I think the key here for us, you know, especially in the beginning is, is choosing the right vehicle. And I remember going back to college, uh, I graduated, um, had a passion for sports, played college football. Uh, I graduated and I was working as a sales rep, uh, business to business doing uh, cell phone sales. And really interesting little story that, you know, I thought, okay, you know, I hear these guys saying, you know, if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. And, and I thought that was, you know, oh man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go do what I love. And so I got a part-time job as a personal trainer, love working out. Long story short, it was soul sucking. The people there, um, you know, they wanted to complain. They wanted to whine. They didn't want to necessarily get fit. They said, I, you know, we, we want to, you know, lose weight. And, and I'm just like, all right, well, we're going to work. We're going to go to work and you show up and we're going to bust ass. And, and more so than anything, they would just complain throughout the whole session. So I, I thought, okay, I, I love working out. I'm going to choose my passion. And it became soul sucking. And all I was doing was being brought down by people that didn't have the same level of motivation as myself. I stopped going to the gym. I put on like this, this little tire around my waist. My, my, my mom started picking on me about it. You know, life was bad. I had to get out of that. Gino's laughing, but it's true. So I, I think the key is, you know, it's a great quote from Steve Jobs, but we're here about the vehicle because when you can master a vehicle and you can master the right vehicle and you can put in those 10,000 hours of work, life gets really interesting. Life becomes fun and you can live life on your own terms. Now, the reason I'm loving multifamily right now, because, and my friend there is, is going to talk about this in a minute. If you're in the restaurant industry right now, Gina was in the restaurant industry, got out at the right time. If you're in hotels, service-related things like that, you're hurting bad right now. And, and I'm not saying that is, is, I'm not excited, you know, because a lot of those folks are, are our customers as well. But, you know, people are, you know, hurting really, really bad right now. And so I think the key is food, clothing, and apartments. We look for basic human needs. That's why this vehicle, that's why multifamily is so important to us. Hey, just picture and imagine this. It's a Friday night. I'm in New York. I'm in my parking lot, the restaurant. This is several years back. It's snowing. I'm getting pelted by hail. It's like 730 at night. It's, it's cold. Nobody's coming to the restaurant. It's like another week where I don't get paid. And I'm saying to myself, what the heck am I doing here? I'm struggling. Every week is the same thing. I'm out there shoveling the snow. No one's there. 
another lost week. And it hit me. The paradigm hit me. I look up. Now, my mom owns the building there, so I'm paying her rent. And she has tenants upstairs. And I look up at one of the windows, and it hit me. I'm like, she's getting paid. Every day, she's getting paid because there's residents there. There's tenants there. I'm not getting paid because I lost another day of something that I can't control. She's getting paid. She's at home, sleeping, getting paid. And that's what it dawned on me. Multifamily gives you the control. My mom had the control. She didn't have to worry about any extenuating circumstances. The residents were paying at the end of the month. That money was coming in. And that's when it really hit me, looking up at that window, freezing my butt off, no gloves, with the shovel, scratching the ice. And it took me a couple of years. I mean, I met you after that. The rest is history. But we all need to know that shift. What is your why? You need clarity on what you're doing. And for me, I'm like, I have it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to this building every day working. It's right above me. And I'm like, why? Why didn't I think of this sooner? Because I just didn't have the clarity. And when I got it, I said, you know what? I'm full, full effect. I had been fooling around with some strip malls and this and that. I said, none of that anymore. I need to buy that basic human need. Now, I've got a book here that I want everyone to take a look at, right? It's called Big Shifts Ahead. We've done a, a podcast with one of the gentlemen who wrote the book. His name is Chris Porter. You can go on jakeandgina.com, Google it. It's, it's, on, it's on iTunes also. The podcast was amazing. It'll only reinforce why multifamily. 72 million millennials, 70 million baby boomers. That's about half the population. What are they doing? They're renting right now. That's what they're doing. 1.6 trillion in student debt. They're not like Gino having six kids. They're not getting married young. They're, they're actually getting married at an older age. They're starting families at an older age. So they're renting. That's what's going on. That's why for us, multifamily long-term, that's where the demographic is going. It's easier to rent. It's easier. We're more of a transitional society, right? What's going on with COVID right now? People are working from home. And you know what? They're more productive. They like it. And it's cheaper for the owners, right? So what's going to happen is Jay can work in Nashville. He can live in Knoxville. He can telecommute once a month or whatever, but it's so much easier to buy and buy or actually rent an apartment than buy a home. And that's what a lot of millennials and, that, and the baby boomers are doing the same thing. They're downsizing. They're selling your homes up north and you're migrating down south to the better weather, weather, to the better climate, to the better tax haven, whatever you want to call it. It's just a better lifestyle. And that's what they're doing. I don't want to confuse this with being recession proof uh, because there's, there's going to be, yeah, there's going to be people that are multifamily owners that are, that are definitely hurt, uh, you know, in this. And, and I'll just give full transparency. We, uh, on average, collect a million two per month in our rental portfolio. Uh, we're sitting at about a million one right now. Okay. Uh, behind this where month, we were for, same for, for April, for this month of April, yes. for the month of April. Correct. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it all doesn't come in, you know, by the 15th. So it's still, but we're still behind for the same time last month, but we're still in the, in the green. Uh, so we're still profitable, you know, anywhere between, you know, 200 and 250 a month is, is the net profit. So, you know, we're sitting back thankful, you know, extremely thankful right now uh, that the, you know, the, the folks have still been able to convert. People are still paying. You know, I think that the more you, you look at this, there's, there's other industries that are doing really well. You're seeing the Kroger's, the grocery stores, the Amazon, the things that are needed long-term. And you don't have to, you know, just be, um, you know, a multifamily operator. This can be an, a great investment vehicle. If you are in a, a position, I think we're on the W2 capitalist right now. You have a job that you love, but you want to have safe investments. How many people are feeling the burn? And we're not talking politics right now from the stock market. I mean, it has been a tremendous roller coaster 
over over these last few months. And and I, for one, was was in it back in you know 2008. I know a lot of people went through that, and that was painful. And here we are again. You know this this kind of pump it up economy with the Fed and and, and riding the uh, the roller coaster, and then all of a sudden you think you're my father is ready to retire or thought he was, and he just got clobbered. He's like, oh, I guess I'm going to have to hang in there for you know another year or two now. So this this really is crippling to people, and and I think folks are starting to get sick of it. So so big shout out to Tyler, Honeybee right here. So thanks, Tyler. Hey guys, I got a question came in from Chastity. Uh, I'm a homeowner and unintentionally became an investor through the purchase of my single family home. How do I leverage my property to acquire a multifamily unit? That's a good question. It's hard to know the specifics. If she can refine roll that property, if she's got enough equity in it, she can refinance it. Rates are really low right now. I'm not sure if community banks are lending on residential because right now as we're talking the metrics and what's going on with, with agencies right now, they just want a lot of reserves. So a lot of these syndications, they're going to have to raise so much additional capital. So for the nine, next 90 days, it may, diff, may be difficult. We're going to talk about that a little bit down the, down the road. Community banks may be the play for the next 90 days until things stabilize. They're a lot easier to work with. If you have that single family home, a couple of ways. If it's not in your- Gino, elaborate on what refine role is. So refine roll, I mean, basically the strategy, Jake and I have been fortunate. We started out when there were deals, right? So this is going back to 2013. There were deals back then, but there was no money. There was no capital. The financing was hard. And guess what? We've just flipped back to 2013. There's deals out there right now, or there are going to be deals, but it's going to be a lot harder to finance these deals. So owner financing is going to become very prevalent. Master lease is going to become very prevalent. So Jake and I, we bought in the part of the cycle where we bought right the three-part framework, buy right, manage right, and finance right. We were able to buy these properties right, and we were able to actually add value by increasing the net operating income. As you do that, you're able to refinance these properties, take the proceeds, not go on vacation, not buy a Lambo, but take that money and roll it into another property and continue to roll it into another property. And you know we're not two Einsteins. We're able to roll over $9 million in refined roll proceeds. And the first thousand units we bought was all by ourselves. But you start small. We started out with a 25-unit property. That's the thing. Think big, but start small. Don't go out there listening to all these gurus saying you need to go as big as possible. We started with a small little crappy 25-unit crack den. And we worked on that property. 18 months later, we refined over 180 grand out of that property. We only put 80,000 into it. So whether you're, all it is with multifamily is just more zeros. Once you can get over that mindset of just adding more zeros, you need to have experience. You need to start somewhere. And I think starting small is great because it'll give you proof of concept. It'll give you the confidence. You'll be able to learn it. And then someone will be saying, well, how do I get into my next deal? Well, partners come along, capital comes along. And that's how it happened. That's how what happened with me and Jake. So refining a property, you want to actually take control of it. And that's one of the things why multifamily, you actually have control of the asset. You're not buying it on a comp basis. You're buying it based on the value of what income stream it's producing. So if you can buy something that is underperforming, whether the income is not high enough or expenses are too high, you can either raise the income or lower the expenses and you raise the net operating income. And that's how you add value to a property. And you go get a new appraisal based on the cap rates of the market. And you're able to extract capital from that. And you know what? It's basically a loan back to you. So guess what? You're not paying any taxes when you refinance the property. So it's not what you make. 
It's what you keep. There's another thing with multifamily, and we can get into cost segregation. Another thing with the tax basis. There's so many wonderful things about multifamily that we could spend an hour just talking about that. But that's the basic premise, I think, of refi and roll, just getting that money refinancing. So if you have a single family home and you have equity in it and you can pull the money out and you could, you know, basically, whether you're even or Jake likes to say, if it don't cash flow, let the grass grow. You really want to have some cash flow. You really want to be able to protect yourself. So if you can pull some equity out and roll that into the next deal, do it. If not, you're saying, you know what? I don't want to deal with a single family home. Maybe you just sell it, take the proceeds and roll it into something a little bit bigger. Gino, I want to elaborate on that single family home thing because I know we, we get comments on social media at, at times because I'll, you know, I'm like, look, I don't want to own single family homes. And people are like, well, you, you only cash flow $200 or you know, we were averaging you know, prior to you know, uh, the Corona $250 per unit. $150 is great. If you're, if you're netting $150 a month on an apartment, that's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll get you know, people uh, like DMing me like, oh, I get $300 a month on my house. Why the hell would I want an apartment? Try to scale 400 houses over a, a, a city versus 1,000 apartments. Okay? If the, you know, the apartments are 50,000 know, bucks a piece and the, the houses cost you 125 which one would you like to manage? Six apartment complexes making up a thousand apartments or 400 houses all over town. And every time the maintenance guy goes to one, he's got to figure out how you know, the wiring is and this one and it's different and talk about a nightmare and then just getting clobbered with the move out because the turn costs are so much. Mm-hmm. So I think the key is as an entrepreneur, we need to find scale in our vehicles. We need to find scale in our businesses. I'm not saying holding a few single family homes as rentals is a bad thing, but if you're looking to get rich off rentals, I think it's much easier to scale with apartments. Guys, we've got a lot of questions coming in. Um, so at one point, Jennifer asked at what point, thank you, Chastity, by the way, for such an intriguing question. Thank you, Chastity. Question. You've got things, things rolling here. Uh, at what point can you take out profit from the refinance and roll process or concept? Jake, you can talk about it. You, you, you know, a lot of banks need seasoning. So I, if you're dealing with the agencies, I think it's at least 12 months. It really depends on community banks. If we see when eighteen we started, months has been our typical when we were yeah. in community banks. When we started, we were we were buying stuff with community banks that had recourse debt. You were personally guaranteeing it. We were refinancing it back to a community bank, and then we would go from a community bank on the third row around to agency. So we were triple dipping, right? Because community banks are great. No prepayment penalties with our community bank. We we're able to get better terms. We we're able to get more, you know, more equity coming pulling out of the property, and then from there. We went to agency. So on average, between 12 to 18 months uh, on a property, depending on the size. And that's why when you start small, those 25 units, it took us a lot quicker to rehab that property, reposition that property, and we were able to refinance that a lot quicker. Yeah. But the key is as entrepreneurs, we have to be adding value and we have to be buying right. And we're going to get to that in a minute. You can't just buy it, sit on it, and the world's going to crap sunshine and rainbows on you. You have to find a need and you have to go and say, okay, I understand the market and this is a mom and pop owner and they're renting at $500 a month because they don't want to deal with it. But I understand the market's really at seven or $800 a month. I'm going to go in, I'm going to put the sweat equity in to get that thing turned around. And, and that's where the value creation comes from. There has to be a value creation in order to get the refine role. Hey, Jake, what about unicorns? You don't like unicorns? Just sunshine? My daughter loves unicorns, so I'm not going to hate on unicorns right okay. now. All so. right, all right. Okay. Equal opportunity, bro. You know <laughs> Got a few more questions. Uh, one in particular is topic of kind of what's going on. Uh, Bernie, thank you for this. But a lot of people have kind of upvoted it or also asked the same question. What if we have a lot of tenants who don't want to pay during this pandemic? And for instance, in the states of New York and Connecticut, the state has no evictions now until September. Yeah, so that's a great question. So one, the, what we have done, um, and, and let's let's even take a step back to 
what's going on currently. So the money is coming into people. You're having $1,200 come in this month. And I think this is engineered by the, the government right now. They're kind of dripping it out. There's 1200 bucks coming out in stimulus right now. And everyone's complaining about the unemployment insurance not kicking in because it should be an extra $600 a month. So if you're or a week, excuse week. me. So if you're getting $200 a week, you should be getting $800 a week. Thus, people on unemployment should be getting about uh, annualized 40 grand, maybe $42,000 a year. I think that you're going to start seeing that towards the end of April. So that will help people you know, meet some of their needs in the month of May. They're getting the $1,200 now. Look, I have no idea. It's just it hasn't hit yet. So I'm kind of thinking that that's what's going on. There's something called, uh, as part of the CARES Act, there's something called PPP. It's Payroll Protection Plan. You know, if you have employees, then as we do, um, you're able to, you know, take a, I think it was a, uh, the equation was a month of uh, payroll and multiply it by 2.5. And, you know, thus you're, you're getting money back. And if you utilize those funds for payroll, um, that will help bridge the gap um, because you're not paying your employees. I think that, you know, doing that and, you know, having good reserves on the front end is, front end is important. If you do not have that, you know, obviously that's not going to help you. But I think going into the future, I think it's going to be imperative for folks to realize that there's booms, there's bust. I think you need to, you know, have a good amount of liquidity on the sidelines and and not just, you know, hope that it's always going to continue going and there's not going to be bad times. You know, and, and having a good, like, one thing that we did, this is going to sound silly, um, but we actually bought... I don't know, 2,000 rolls of toilet paper, and we bagged them up. We put, you know, our, our company logo on them, and, and we brought them out to all the residents yesterday. And, you know, we said your RAND family of companies is here to help make the best of a crappy situation. And, you know, we've had letters as well. So it was sort of like, you know, give to get. So we're, we're, we're delivering the toilet paper as, as sort of a playful joke, but also, you know, having a, you know, a documented list of you know, these are the people that, you know, haven't paid, where are they at in the cycle, and, and you know, trying to pull through the collections. So, it's fine in every way that you can to get creative. And, um, you know, I, I definitely think that the, uh, the importance, you know, of where you buy, uh, it, it matters, especially now. Um, I think that, uh, you know, you, you see what the motivation of the different state governments are. And, and if you, that doesn't align with your values, I, I don't see that there, there's any reason not to pull out of those states. And if they're doing things, this is the, the great thing. I'm not going to get you know, crazy, but the federalist system that we have, the federal system that we have allows you to move about the states. You know, Gino was in New York. He's in Florida now. I was in New York. I'm in Tennessee now. And I would not buy apartments in New York. Um, you know, I, I feel comfortable buying, you know, there's certain states that we feel comfortable buying and it, it comes down to, you know, um, regulations and different uh, landlord tenant laws. So I think that if, if, you know, you're in a state and you don't like what's going on, I think it, it's, it's fair to say that, you know, you should pull your money out of those states if, if those, uh, if they're not aligning with your values. So Jake, so. a couple things to add to that. Uh, last week we did a podcast with Joey Coleman on the Jake and Gino channel, the wheel of our profits. I, I implore everybody to listen to that. Because now's the time to be proactive in your property management. Now's the time to create customer journeys and customer experience. And as Jake likes to say, become the Chick-fil-A of apartment investing. You need to be proactive with your customer service. You need to be getting out there. Push out, maybe maybe if you have late fees, push them out to the 15th. Maybe don't charge late fees, right? You can do that. Maybe start working out a lease deferment with your tenants, but don't overreact. Don't do what a lot of the gurus did last month. Oh, I'm firing everybody. You know. Don't overreact. Now's the time just to take it slow, take it day by day, 
and really assess the situation of what's going on. We were freaking out in the beginning of April because we weren't, we weren't worried about collections. We were you know, really worried about collections, but we tracked it. We were tracking it day by day. And what we're doing is we're being proactive and going out to the tenants, knowing that their money's coming in and saying, hey, your rent's due. We want to work with you, right? Take the Chris Ross approach. We, we want to get out of this together. We're partnering up. We want to make our community a lot better. As we get out of this, it's your community as well as our community. They don't care that you have bills to pay. They're thinking about themselves, but you have to make it seem as if it, we're all in this together. And as they're getting their checks, just making sure every couple of days you're hitting up with them, whether you're sending them a text, whether you're knocking on the door, whether you're sending them an email, whatever it is, you need to be in front of them and make sure that you're there to be collecting this money. Now, we don't know what's going to happen in May. And we're hoping that people pay up. As Jake said, Tennessee appears to be opening up uh, in the beginning of May. I live in Florida. They're already reopening the beaches here in Florida. You want governors and you want people in your community, in your area to be proactive and you want them to have a plan. And you really have to look at tenant landlord laws. There's a lot of states that have very favorable tenant laws that really hurt us. And we're selling time. Multifamily selling time is like an airplane. Once the airplane's up in the air, those empty seats are gone. Once your multifamily has been sitting for 30 days empty, that money is gone forever. So that's part of the business plan. Make sure you are actually looking at that and you're assessing the market that you're investing in. All right. So what does the future hold? So, you know, we're still looking for opportunities. Um, I think that we're definitely being more selective and there's something uh, that the agencies, so when you're buying larger multifamily buildings, uh, we use Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac type loans to buy those deals. And what's happening right now is they're requiring up to 12 months of additional principal and interest. Uh, no, excuse me. Uh, it's principal and it's principal, interest, tax, P&I, right? Just P&I. Insurance. Yeah. I, don't I think it's just the P&I though, Gino, that they're, that they're requiring for the 12 months. So I, I think, think it's... It yeah. depends. Well, it depends on, let me, let me, let me rephrase that. Yeah. It depends on the amount of uh, down payment you're putting. If you're getting a higher LTV... They're going to want 12, up to 12 months of principal, interest, taxes, insurance, and reserves. If that LTV drops, right. you're going to need less. And Freddie's doing something less. But like I said, it's, it's changing every day. But that's going to hurt. I didn't mean to interrupt you, Jake. I'm sorry. No, no. I think the, the, the point that I was trying to make, though, is so if, if someone's selling a deal right now mm-hmm. and you're, you're going in to buy it, someone's going to have to pick that up. So either you're, you're going to have to bring more cash to the table or there's going to be a discount. I don't see folks, unless it's such a screaming deal, wanting to bring that that extra cash to the table. So I think you're going to have to watch very closely over these next 90 days. If someone's selling a deal, they're probably going to be open to a discount because I, I think there's going to be some sort of desperation or need there in terms of why they're selling. Now, when you're looking at that deal, you need to own that rent roll. You need to know where these people are working, where the income's coming from. I want to yes. see bank statements. I want to see what's going in the bank. You're going to have to be so proactive you know, going super detective on this during your due diligence. And I also think that if you do not have a financing contingency, something that if the financing doesn't work, you can get out, you're going to be making a big mistake. And it may be harder to get the deal worked out because a lot of owners prior to this were getting buyers to not have to come to the table with a financing contingency. They were getting that waived. Look, in this environment, if you do a deal without a financing contingency, I think you're, you're, you're asking for it. So I think you got to be you know, very careful there. Um, you have to know exactly where, look, you're buying an income stream. This, this is not a rocket science business. It comes down to income versus expenses. So you need to know where the income's coming from. You need to see it hitting the bank accounts. And I think that's going to be so crucial. So we're still looking at deals. Uh, we think that you know, people are getting sick of the stock market. 
I think in three to six months, the the values on multifamily, you know, the demand could go even higher because people are burned on the stock market once this thing settles down. In the short term, though, I mean, definitely over the next six months, I think you're going to have to be, you know, proactively looking for deals. And that doesn't mean sitting on the sideline, I'm dwelling over what's going on with Corona. This is the time to be engaged. Brokers are calling people back more than ever now. You need to be engaged, and this is setting the foundation to get deals done. Yes, Jay. Jay, you just said something, and uh, Jason and Angel Williams asked this question. How can passive investors be proactive? You mentioned being proactive right now. How can we as passive investors uh, be proactive? Well, from our syndication arm, right, where we, we have our deals with our investors, you should, we, we are communicating all the time. We had a two to, we had a two hour window right now talking to all of our investors, right? That, that's the important thing. As syndicators, we need to be really transparent right now. We need to be getting on webinars with our investors. If you are actually going on and you are being a passive investor trying to invest in deals, you need to under, you need to actually know the whole entire education of multifamily. You need to know what market you're investing in. You need, need to know how to underwrite a deal. You need to know how to value a deal. You need to how to look at a sponsor and vet a sponsor. Is that sponsor credible? You need to be able to read all the documents, PPM. So it's it's almost as if you're operating the deal. Because also, if you're if you're buying a deal, you're you know you're an LP, and there's no such thing as anything being passive. If you're going to invest with Jake and Gino, you're going to, you're going to want to know about our property management company. You're going to want to know, you know take a look underneath the hood. You're going to want to make sure. Hey, do I want to invest in Lexington and in Knoxville where Jake and Gino are investing in? I may not want to. So you're going to have to know how to underwrite the deal, or at least understand the underwriting. So that's how I think you know uh, passive investors can be more proactive really learning the space. And you know, it's okay if you want to jump on in multifamily and figure out, I want to do this, but then figure out it's a lot of work. Maybe I can just find people to give money to and let them do it, but at least understand the ramifications. I think that's what's wrong with the stock market. People invest in mutual funds and it's like giving the mutual fund companies their money, but they're not doing any due diligence right, on how to invest and how to buy individual stocks and how to buy puts and calls. It's the same thing when you're investing in multifamily and you want to become an LP. It's a great thing, but at least understand how to vet the sponsor and how to, how to vet the deal and how to vet the market. Take what I just said and volley it back at the, the sponsor. Don't be afraid to ask the questions and, and know the markets they're going into and know the, the job base and say, I want to know, like, look, if you're doing the due diligence on it, where are these people working? And while you're, you know, you're going through due diligence, ask the sponsor, you know, what are the cash collections? What, what's actually going in the bank? Is it lining up with you know, whatever they showed you from an income statement? So I think taking those and putting the, the, the pressure back on the sponsor to be able to provide that so you know what you're getting into. So P actually says, did Jake say this is not rocket science? This is expenses versus income. I'm taking notes. And I no, no, income versus quote. expenses. I income like income versus first. expenses. Yes, that's what I'm saying. You, you're taking a top line approach. And I'll, I'll, add, I'll add another one to, to all the entrepreneurs. Just write this down, everybody, because it's really, truly powerful. And it really speaks to what's going on. Revenue is vanity. Profit margin is sanity. And cash is king. That's what's going on right now. Everyone had these bloated businesses. Everyone had all these nice expenses going on. But you know what? I'm generating. I'm growing. I've got 6,000 units. Well, where are we right now? If you're over bloated and you're not minding the store right now, you're going to get really hurt. And this is what I told Jake when we started buying deals. I said, I don't want to have any kind of number. I want to buy deals that make sense. Last year, we only bought two deals. We had the ability to buy 20 deals. We underwrote over 250 deals last year and only two worked out. And that's because we were really focused on our business model and we didn't stray from our buy right, manage right, finance right criteria. So for us, it was really powerful. And I think the last thing, Jake, I'd like to say about the, what the future holds 
I want everyone on this call to go on and start researching owner financing. Owner financing is going to be very big in the next six to 12 months. Let's start getting creative with what's going on in, in, in the market right now. We're going to have a lot of motivated mom and pop sellers out there. If you can't get financing, if they have a lot of equity in the deal, let's start looking at owner financing. Yeah, I think the other thing that's going to be very important is looking at a 12-month P&I. So again, we're looking at deals right now, but when you're looking at a deal, are you buying on actuals? You know, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of deals getting done where they're annualizing the T3. So they're looking at the, the trailing three months and saying, okay, over the last three months, they're up $10,000 a month. I'm going to multiply that you know, by those three months by four. Here's the new income number. You know, Fannie's going to sign off on it. And you know, bada bing, bada boom, we got a deal done. And then we're getting 6% increase in year one. Okay. That's what's going on in a lot of these things. So you got to be very careful. When I say buy on actuals, this is another thing to you know, volley back to the sponsor. What is the in-place cash-on-cash return right now? What's the income? What's the expense? Sandwich that debt into the equation and tell me what that cash-on-cash is right now. Okay, day one, what are we buying? What You're buying the revenue stream. Hmm? What kind of sandwich? Peter I like Angel. BLTs. Okay. You know, maybe, maybe, you know, whatever. We get, we, we can talk about that a little bit later, but, you know, it's, we're not talking shit sandwich. <laughs> I know but, you're the food guy, so you always like to eat. So you always bring up these food analogies. Yeah, no, so. I just I've always been a BLT guy. I think like a little bit of mayo, get the tomato Sweet. going, a little bit of lettuce, nice crispy, crispy bacon. bacon going on. Yeah, yeah I feel it's you, just bro. it's hard to beat it, right? It's, it really it's is the BLT man. It so. really is. You guys are you guys are making me hungry. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, this is this is the, this is like my uh, my secondies right now. So we're we're cutting into my meal time here. So we're we're, we're going to carry on. But I think and, and Jay, let me ask you: Are a lot of the folks on the line? Because I want to make sure that you know we're speaking directly to people's needs. Are a lot of the folks on the line passive investors? Is that fair to say? Yeah. Good majority, okay. Most majority of them. Yep. Yeah. So no, that, that's, that's great. That way we can, we can talk about this more because I think it's, it's the key to this is knowing how the sponsors are looking at it. And look, what Gino said before, if it don't cash flow, let the grass grow. I do a very, very simple equation on every deal that we do. And I, I, I want to see where is that cash on cash return right now? What's that cap rate? Um, where is you it know, going, baby? Yeah, like, look, it can go, it can go up. We plan on having to go up, right? Mm-hmm. But I want to know what it's doing today, and, and that's one thing that Gino and I preach for the longest time is buy in actuals. And people are like, oh, you can't buy in actuals. Look, year over year over year over year, Gino, how many deals do we buy a year? About two to three deals a year. Two to three for the last ten years. You know, we're just buying two to three deals every year, and and it, and it fluctuates. Some some years we buy A class if, if we can find ones at cash flow. We we like buying C's. We've we've bought like huge turnaround plays. But it's, it's making sure that that value is there. And so I think you got to be able to ebb and flow with the market. And if you're going to force it, and look, maybe six deals a year is there. But, you know, how many deals did we look at last year? Oh, we, we, like I said, we underwrote over 250 deals. Yeah. That's what we did. It was crazy. And we Jay, bought two? Like to, yeah, we bought two. What I like to talk about this also is the, the switch is flipped. The brokers had all the power 28 days ago. And what's they were amazing, like the governor of Kentucky. Yeah, and what's amazing is... <laughs> Mm-mm-mm. You're in all, all the protests, but what's really amazing? Though, oh no, no, no! Wait, was that uh, Michigan? Sorry, no, both of them. Oh, and Kentucky. Yeah, both of them. Throw them under <laughs> the bus. So what? What the amazing thing about it is, though, they haven't reset yet. They they're still living pre-corona, but the sellers and and they're just pitching up these deals. So it takes time. Real estate moves a little bit slower, but they're going to see as your deal flow is is a lot slower. People don't want to buy and they don't want to sell right now. It's now's the time to get on the horn with these brokers and just 
build rapport with them because when we start coming out of this, they're going to start, you know, having those deals come back. So who are they going to call? They're going to call people that they spoke to during this crisis. So get on the horn. And the other thing is, what are we looking at deals right now? We, we always preach the three pillars of real estate. One of our coaches, Bill Ham, you know, taught me this and it's important. So I want everyone to write this down. The three pillars, it's all about market cycle, where, the, where we are in the market cycle, right? That's really important. You want to talk about debt. What kind of debt are you getting? Long-term fixed rate financing? Are you getting bridge? Are you getting hard money? And the third part is exit strategy. So, so you look at market cycle, debt, and exit strategy. And that's how we analyze every single deal. Jake is saying some years we buy A class, some years we buy, well, if you know where you are in the market cycle, you'll know what type of asset to buy. And that's a really long conversation. But just, and this goes into the single family space. You're buying a fix and flip. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You need to know what your exit strategy is with these. We like to refine roll these, but then if we're going to do a syndication and raise money, we may have a shorter time horizon where, you know what, we may have to sell this and return our capital to our investors. So when you're going in in a deal, make sure you have those three taken care of because every deal, one deal may look great, but then when you're looking at the debt on it, it doesn't work. And maybe the exit strategy doesn't work. So look at all three of those, analyze all three of those. And that's how you, uh, that's how you start analyzing deals. Yeah. I'm glad you told me that too, because I think right now, especially for syndicators, liquidity is so important because we talked about having to bring additional P&I reserves to the table. So deals literally are going to cost more. Loan to value is going to be higher. They're going to want reserves in place. So if, if sponsors are closing deals over the next four to six months, cash is going to be king right now. I think mm-hmm. not only to weather the storm, making sure you have reserves in place, uh, great management is going to be so important, but I think there's going to be deals to be had, not only for the, the, the people that are buying, okay, that you're going out, finding a deal. If you're going to buy something right now, it should, it should have some sort of discount attached to it. But also you should push your sponsors a little bit. Maybe they're going to be hard up for money. Okay, because they're having to raise more money, so there may be deals on the the side of the uh, the limited partners as well, uh, depending on maybe there's a lower fee structure or whatever. So, and and again, we're, look, we're in the syndication space, and you know, I just think that look, you're always looking for you know a discount, always looking to you know find value. So you, that may be something that uh, that is on the horizon as well. So I think that's going to be uh, something to look at because your dollars are going to be extremely valuable because. And, and, you know, if there's a $10 million deal before, maybe they could get, you know, 75% loan to value, but now it's going to be, you know, 75 or, you know, something, you know, even, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe 70. Okay. You know, something like that. 65. We've done deals where it's 65% loan to value. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to ask you to bring a year of uh, principal and interest. Well, you know, your raise might've just doubled as a sponsor. So it may be, you know, extremely important to get as, you know, many uh, investors on these as possible. So I think that's going to be one thing that, to look at. Jake, when I see this pile of cash, I, I think about what's going on right now with the Fed Reserve. They're printing money. And there's another reason why we love multifamily. 1970, the cost of a cup of coffee was 25 cents. 2019, the cost of a cup of coffee is $1.59. For the stat. gas station coffee. <laughs> it's okay. I'm okay with gas station coffee. Gino's not getting it from a barista because that's four fifty. <laughs> well, that's what you do. That's you're killing me with the inflation there. And hundred dollars, nineteen seventy. It's worth hundred dollars is worth six hundred sixty six dollars and seventy cents in the year twenty twenty. And as they print more money, what happens? The middle class falls farther and farther behind. We fall farther and farther behind. People who own hard assets will inflate, and that's what's been happening for the last seven or eight years been going on and it's only going to you know exacerbate in the next couple of years because the fed is printing money and it that's what's going to happen so 
just to lock that in. I want everyone on this call. Inflation is a hidden tax. That's the key. Oh. Many people don't realize this. Inflation is a hidden tax. And if you don't have a vehicle to keep pace with it, i.e. multifamily, so you can raise your rent when hamburger is going to be $20, you know, we may not go from $800 a month rental to you know, 1600 but we're going to do our best to keep pace with that. So you know, in two years from now, and they say, why is hamburger 20 bucks? Well, they, they printed you know, $40 trillion because of the coronavirus or something. Mm-hmm. Maybe people will start to wake up, but unfortunately, people don't look behind that well you know, all the time. Mm-hmm. So we shall see. I like that picture, by the way, Stenziano. It's nice. Yeah, I worked hard on that. I think the, uh, and again, speaking, you know, speaking to our audience now that we know, you know, folks are more, um, you know, from the, the limited partner side, I, I think it's going to be crucial uh, right now, the folks that weather this storm. I, I think one thing to look at, if you're doing a deal, say 12 months from now, you're a limited partner on a deal, ask if they did forbearance on the deal, okay? Because that's going to be, that's going to be so important, you know, watching, you know, the folks that had to apply for forbearance, the folks that didn't need to use forbearance, you know, probably manage their deals really effectively, or they bought the right deals. I think it's going to be interesting to look, you know, if people are applying for forbearance, it's either going to say, okay, probably didn't get the best deal or the management wasn't there. So you're going to really see now over the next few months, a a good, you know, kind of marker, if someone did have to apply for it, what happened there, and it could come back to really solid management. We preach buy right, manage right, and finance right. I think you're going to see really the, the folks that manage really well are going to come out of this, you know, very strong you know, well-capitalized and, and doing the right things from a management collections perspective. So Jake, for me, the important part for me was we, we talked previously about not overreacting, right? And what I've learned as I've gotten older and I've, you know, taken the reins and I've become more of an entrepreneur, every problem has opportunities. And I learned that through life coaching. Every problem that we face has opportunities. And in this op- crisis right now, the opportunity in the managed right is virtual leasing, right? Virtual tours, I don't say that totally replaces a leasing agent. That's just another tool in the toolbox that makes us more efficient, that gives us more ammunition with the tenant. It'll qualify us more. So we're using virtual leasing and virtual tours right now. Also, we use- On the fly. I mean, we implement that in like a week. Yeah. It's crazy. Then, but yeah. you know what? If we were there and we had cut salary and cut payroll and we're like, dude, you know, we can't do it. That was really important. And that's going to continue on. As, the, as we get out of this and we're going to be ahead of the curve. We never would have implemented that if we didn't have this, this big problem. We're using 10 and Turner also, part of artificial intelligence. Maybe we're going to start showing apartments after five and on the weekends like we never did. So we're, we're actually trying new things in this turbulent time. And just look at it. There are, there are going to be opportunities out there. I'm telling you right now, owner financing is another opportunity. If you don't have the capital and you have motivated sellers, you're going to have motivated sellers. That's an opportunity in this time right now. So I want everyone to reflect. There are problems going on. There's going to be problems continuing with this, but when we have problems, there are always opportunities. And the ones who are entrepreneurs who can find those opportunities are the ones who are going to make money in this. Yeah, I challenge the folks out there too to not poo-poo smaller multifamily deals. Like if you if you find a good 10, 20, 30 unit deal that you and, and maybe a friend can take down, that's how Gina and I got started. And we've made some really good money on some of those smaller deals that that we've done early on. Mm-hmm. Look, it's it's there's nothing wrong with with doing some of these smaller deals. And I think you can, you know, really uh, you know, like the the 16 unit, you know, we bought 37 a door. We sold the thing for over a hundred a door, you know, a few years later, added a lot of value to it. If you, if you see the value, don't just, you know, force the money into syndications all the time, because again, you can, you know, if you, if you put the work in, uh, you know, be successful in multifamily on a smaller scale and grow up to, you know, bigger deals as well. 
Jay, do you have any questions you want us to answer? I saw one in the chat box that looked a little. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's a couple on here about residential multifamily versus commercial multifamily. And we do have a lot of newbies in here. So can you guys distinguish the difference and tell us where you're focused on now? Right. I mean, you've kind of, I don't know what you're talking about. Residential multifamily, I would say it's maybe four units or less commercial, commercial, maybe five or more, you know, maybe the financing may be a little bit easier on, on a residential four or less, but as you get bigger and you get into the bigger deals, they tend to look more at the deal itself than the actual person. Um, you know, with community banks, they'll tend to look at you more. But if you're going to agency, Fannie and Freddie, traditionally, you're looking at around, you know, they're looking more at the deal than, than, than the actual person itself. It's really hard to get a, a I just consider a multifamily, you know, yeah. at, at the point. Like, I, I know there may be like, I think it comes down, there's like these government loans where you can get in for like real low. So I think on those like real smaller deals, it makes a difference because you can get in for like 3% or something like that. I forget what they're called, but. You talk, you're looking at FHAs and that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's where that, yeah. that comes in, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Mm-hmm only on FHA. Yeah. Somebody else had a question about, uh, the only thing I dislike about multifamily under 60 units is no onsite management. That is, that is, that is the case. But when you're first starting out, we had resident managers on our first 25 unit deal, resident manager, next deal, 35 units, resident manager. Six months after that, we got a big 136 unit deal. Guess what? Chow, chow, resident managers, on-site property management. And it may be a struggle the first you know, couple of years that you're starting. You may have to go on the property like Jake did, and you may have to continue to fire and hire and fire resident managers. But the idea is to scale up. And listen, we just closed on a 52-unit deal six weeks ago. And what happened was it's right next to one of our bigger properties. So we don't have on-site management there. We have our property managers taking care of that property. So once you have the, the infrastructure and the economies of scale, those smaller units, if they make sense in this, you can take them off. Here, here's the key too. If you're planning on growing, take the short-term haircut. Hire the manager to help you out and to run it and systematize early on. And don't worry about like, you know, making millions of dollars on it in the beginning because you're building an infrastructure and a business with the, the long view in, in mind that you're mm-hmm. going to grow. So if you have a, a 50 unit and you can find a way to even like come close to breaking even on that and you know you're going to grow and buy another 50 unit, that same manager will be able to run both of those properties Hire early, you know, sacrifice short-term profits for the long view because it will pay off in spades down the road. I'm sorry. I'm just reading another question. Sorry, Jake. I know, oh, man. There's a lot going on here. That's why we got, we got Jay here because we, we got a little bit of this, trying to focus on, on the prezo here, but we're, we're making it happen. So. How would you go about raising capital and networking with others during this time? Raising capital and networking, we're doing it right now. We're, we're, we're doing a virtual meetup right now. We do a lot of virtual meetups. I've done a lot. We have our meetups um, during during the week. I have asked me anything with the Jake and Gino community. It's just getting out there and being proactive. Maybe this is the time you work on your customer journey. Maybe it's the time you whip out a thank you card and write, start writing thank you cards to all your investors for, for being part of the community. There's so many things that you can think of outside the box right now. This is going to be over. It's going to be over and we're, we're going to get back to it. You know, I think so, it's, you, I don't want to say you're too late, but you've had, how long have we like been locked up for? A good four weeks down in Florida. I don't know how long. So, so here's the thing. You still have time, but one of the things that we use, you have, you have time on your hands to do the things right now that admin tasks that, that take up time that you don't want to do when you're running and gunning. We started with a credibility book. Um, mm-hmm. If you go to Jake and Gino, A-N-D-G-I-N-O.com forward slash the honeybee, um, you can actually pick up our credibility book there. We give it away for free. That book was so like instrumental in the beginning for working with bankers, you know, uh, partnering, 
um, you know, getting brokers to take us seriously, put your business plan down. It doesn't have to be some elaborate thing. You can get someone on Upwork to help you. You know, we have, we have designers just, you know, email us. Look, use this time to build your credibility, find ways that you can engage people. And if this was 1970s, you wouldn't have these opportunities to yourself. Think outside the box. You, we're, we're interconnected with this web of 330 million people just in this country that, that you can you know, interact with, go in chat rooms, whatever. Get creative with it. Get on Facebook. Get your credibility book out yes. there. Network with the people on this thing right now. I mean, it's, it's the opportunities are endless. And you could be right now, every Sunday morning before my family gets up, before everyone gets up, I wake up and I plan my week ahead, okay? It's corny. I got this black sheet. Everything goes down on it. I follow the yellow brick road. The reason I do that is because other people are sleeping. They're doing this. I'm getting ahead of my competition and I'm so dialed in and focused. The time 6 a.m. goes off on Monday, then I'm crushing it. These are your opportunities. This is what this time is, is an opportunity that you could be doing the work that someone else is unwilling to do because they're playing Xbox and doing a, you know, my, my jabroni friend sent this to me too, a uh, house party. And, and sitting around, you know, <laughs> doing Jaeger bombs, okay? You can do the Jaeger bombs on House Party and, and continue doing your thing, or you can be out there networking, kicking ass. So, uh, Zinuski, uh, Mr. Helms crushes it on Facebook. I mean, use yeah. social media, you know, you, you know, use Instagram. I don't like that. Start a podcast, right? Start a blog. Do some YouTube videos. Do something. Create a one-pager. <laughs> Commit and figure it out. You don't have to do it all, right? start a, um, one of the things I, we started with the podcast and we've just expanded. We like all the mediums right now because we have more team members, but I love the podcast. I love podcasting people because it's amazing and you get to meet people. If you feel uncomfortable doing it, you're going to suck at it in the beginning. Trust me, I sucked at it for about three years and I'm actually adequate right now. So just start something and, and, you know, commit and figure it out. Go ahead, Jay. Sorry. Yeah, no, Cameron asked a really good question. You know, the CARES Act is is upon us right now. And he is a W-2 with a 401k under the new CARES Act. He can access up to $100,000 with no early withdrawal penalty. You can defer paying the taxes over three years. He is considering liquidating $100,000 from his 401k and buying uh, real estate. What are your thoughts? I can only speak from previous experience. I can't recommend him to do something because I think you know, our attorneys would say that's a no-no. But in my experience, I actually blew, blew up the 401k, blew up the Roth IRA, took a HELOC, you know, did everything I could to take every single penny off the table and plowed into multifamily. So I think the first one I did was a loan. I think I was able to get a second loan when I was still working at W-2. I liquidated the, the Roth IRA and then also you know, took a HELOC out. And we were actually, I had to borrow $10,000 from my grandparents for the third deal that we did as well, just to get the, the equity um, that I was looking for on it. So, uh, you know, look, if, if, there, if there's a deal out there and, and it, it's going to work for you and you're committed to, to this game, that's what I did. Um, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a decision between you and your family and, and what makes sense for you. Um, fortunately, I had a, a wife that was supportive of it because if this stuff wouldn't have worked, we would have been completely broke. And so if this is entrepreneurship. You're taking a huge risk. Um, and so I think the key is just to, you know, look, make sure if you're, if you're buying these deals, you're buying an actuals, following the framework, uh, and, you know, and, and not putting yourself, you know, and your family at risk, but Hey, you know, sometimes you know, th- those are the, uh, fortune sides with him who dares, right? That's the quote. Just picture this. It's 2016. I'm sitting in a parking lot in Boca Raton at a coffee shop. Sounds not fancy. Even, not even making this up. And Jake calls me and goes, we got the deal of lifetime. I need about a hundred grand for this. I'm not kidding. I'm like, where am I getting a hundred grand? I don't have a hundred grand. 
I look at my 401k. I was going to self, I was going to roll into self-directed, but I can't sell deal. So I said, you know what? I've got some cost set coming my way. I'm going to blow it up. I'm going to pay a <laughs> penalty and I'm going to have $90,000. And that's what I did. Do I recommend it for everybody? I don't know. It really depends on the opportunity cost. If I had given up on that deal and not done that deal, then I probably would have lost $2 million in equity going forward now. I've cash flowed an average of seven to $8,000 a month just myself on that deal. We've cost segregated that deal. The deal has gone up in such value. So you really have to look at it. Like I said, the three pillars, look at it, the three pillars and look at the opportunity cost. I mean, like if you have to pay that money back in three years, if you're a W-2, but then you become a real estate professional and you take cost segregation, you have to pay that, that back. I mean, that's why it's really hard to talk about the specific. All I can say is a lot of people in this country are broke. And a lot of people in this country put money in 401ks. Is that the right way to do it? So I'm, you know, for me, it worked until it didn't work. Set your parameters up. Same thing with buying a deal. Look, mm-hmm. you know, we're looking for, we were looking at six caps. You know, I hope, I hope seven caps start coming our way again. Um, you know, I like, you know, eight to 10% cash on cash return actual from day one. I can't tell you what a good deal is. I can, you know, I can tell you what parameters we use. You can make your own parameters. You know, like I said, income versus expenses, slap that debt, you know, component on there. And tell me what it, tell me what she says, but E B and J. Hey man, look, it's what makes sense for you, right? This is this is this is where the rubber hits the road. So I like dipping PB and J in chicken noodle soup too. I think that's delicious. You, so. I'm with you. You guys are killing me with sandwich lingo. Uh, but something, Jake, you said, and I want to rehash this, is that, you know, our our lawyers are going to tell us, don't give specific advice. So whatever we Not giving specific advice, not. just speaking yep. to, you know, what yep. I've done in my own experience. And that's why I said, I can't tell you what a good deal is. Yep. It's a, yep. it's, you can, you have to, you know, do the math, do the parameters, do the underwriting. And, and that's what I'm saying. You know, right now, what can you do? You can focus on your education more than anything right now and networking. Yep. HUD is a new investor. Or he asked, he asked this question for a new investor looking to purchase his first property. What would you offer and uh, what advice would you offer in which market to invest in if the market you currently live in is too expensive to purchase a multifamily property? So you have to select the market, but when you're selecting a market, obviously all the edu- real estate education where job growth, population growth, all those have to, have to align. But one of the more important things is if you're going to invest out of your market, make sure you can get to that market, right? If you're in California and you've got to go to Atlanta, let's say, can you get there within two or three days? I mean, if, you, if the answer is yes, then you can do it. I was in New York. I wanted to invest in Florida. I wanted it to be my backyard. And while I was getting there working at the restaurant, I could still invest in Jacksonville because from LaGuardia to Jax, it's an hour and a half flight. I could leave the house at seven in the morning, be in Jax and be home in New York by four o'clock that afternoon. So for me, Having all the parameters of a great market and being able to get there was what was really important for me when I started this journey. I was fortunate to go to Knoxville with Jake. Um, and for Jake, we started buying. He was boots on the ground. But then I said, you know what? I want to start you know, managing some properties and buying some properties. And I ended up moving to Jacksonville, making it my backyard. Didn't buy any deals because the deals didn't make sense. They didn't fall in alignment with us. They had elevated. Cap rates compressed so much in this market, and we were still buying in Tennessee. But that's what I would do. Focus on a market. And if you're, and if you're at that point where you're looking to leave a city, go find somewhere where you like to live and maybe make it, maybe make it a, a backyard that you like. Do you like the mountains? Maybe you go in Tennessee. Do you like the beach? Maybe you go to Florida. Start working on it and make that your backyard. So then when you want to make the move, You've already invested in that market and you can move right into it and, and take a property over right there. I want to change everyone's mindset on the country right now. 
you, you, you go into, I'm going to make a target reference right now. Cause, cause you know, and I joke about this, but it's, it's the SATs every month on the, the, the statement for my wife, <laughs> it's, it's the Starbucks, Amazon and target, the same thing. So I got that burned <laughs> into my head, but uh, you go in, you have 50 choices. It's the same way it is right now. They're not all created equal. Everyone, you know, each state has, you know, this is good. You know, this is bad. The weather's good here. You know, the taxes are good over here. I chose my state. Okay. We all have this choice and people are going to say, I can't do it because I can't do it because I can't do it because what reasons can you do it? You have choices. Okay. I left New York. I picked a state that aligned with the values that I was looking for, uh, the, the taxes that I was looking for, the weather that I was looking for, the mountains, the lakes, et cetera. Okay. Gino did the same thing. So you, you have the opportunity here. You're not tied down. Well, right now you are. Okay. But in the next few months, hopefully we'll, we'll have the mobility back to us. But if you, if you want to leave your state, you have the opportunity to do that. So many people have the limiting belief that they can't move from where they currently are because X, Y, and Z changed my life. The best things I've ever done was, was get out of New York and it made a huge impact on my life. So just saying, if you're in a place where you feel stuck, I can't invest out of my backyard, the weather sucks, yada, yada, you do have a choice. And, and I think you, you should look at the different states, just like you're going to, to you know, select a car. You have 50 different options. Buy the one that you know, fits your needs. I think that's, that's the thing that people miss a lot of times and they feel stuck. So I just wanted to put that out there. Like that, Jake. I was just going to say, for me, it's not an easy decision. It's really hard. I had six kids, right? Even though I homeschool my kids. But look, if, you have, if a guy with six kids in New York can, you know, move down to Florida. Like it's, it's possible gang. It's not crazy. So it's all about clarity though. Right. I I knew what I wanted to do and I was hard. I have an Italian mom. How could you be leaving me? Well, I'm going somewhere else. And ironically, (laughs) you're supposed to live next door, bro. They're they're all falling, bro. They're all coming down. You know what I'm saying? So I was a torchbearer. I was the one who fell on the sword and I was like, best thing I ever did also. Right, dude. I see the sword behind you. I fell on that thing a few times. You know what I'm saying? So I want, to, I want to hit this real quick on the finance piece because, you know, while I was saying like, you know, if you're looking at deals that did have forbearance, one of the great things about multifamily is the long-term fixed rate financing. Okay. You're getting 30-year amortizations. A lot of times you're getting interest-only periods. You're getting great low interest rates, non-recourse. There's, there's so much good here. And also you see what's happening right now. Okay. You have this complete, you know, contraction. Everybody's staying at home. And they are offering forbearance. So at least if you do run into trouble with a multifamily loan, you see the action that's going on right now. And you can at least kick the can for 90 days to weather the storm. So I think that the key for us is always looking at long-term fixed rate financing, non-recourse with low interest rates. So that's, that's the key to the finance right component of the framework. Now, I think the, the, the thing I really want to touch on here is that you know, whether you're an LP investor, whether you're new starting to get into your own deals, whether you know, you're, you've been you know, in the game for 40 years. I think the difference right now is going to be the mindset. You know, we, we joke a lot about make it happen, but again, I don't believe multifamily is rocket science. I think that it's like anything else. You need to be an entrepreneur. You need to bootstrap early on if you want to grow a business. And I think the folks that are going to get left behind right now and miss the opportunity are the ones that overanalyze. They overthink. They're on the media merry-go-round every day. They're watching what's the Corona doing today. And and, and they're riding that merry-go-round and they're being consumed by it. I'm not saying don't educate yourself. I'm not saying don't be rational. Don't have a a mind based in reason and understand what's going on, but you cannot let this consume you. You have more opportunities right now to be working on your business, networking, growing, whatever the case may be. It's almost endless. We've been working more. I've been putting more 15, 14 hour days since this damn thing hit because I've had to 
to you know manage the business and, and, and weather the storm than even prior. But if you're not in that same position, this is your opportunity to leapfrog. This is your growth period, okay? Don't get caught up into this crap. There's so much caca out there that people are getting dragged down and people are getting depressed and they're at home and this, that, and the other thing. Stay as rational as you can. Stay focused on the prize because this multifamily business can set you free within three to five years if you play your cards right. I think Jake, that's change, You're changing some diapers at home, huh? Kaka, you got your at home all, all changed. Dude, the problem is he, so I got a one-year-old and he stuck his hand in it the other day and, and my, my wife was up getting the mail and I said, I can't just leave him. I'll get, I'll get killed if she comes back and it's on his hand. So yes, I've been there. Okay. And I'm still kicking down doors. All right. So. I feel your pain, bro. I challenge everybody. This is the book you got to read right now. Mindset by Carol Dweck. It's you either have a fixed mindset or you have a growth mindset. The fixed mindset is I know everything. I'm not going to grow. And you get labeled as a genius or as a smart person. Then when you get onto the real world, things are a little bit tougher. And you're like, you know what? I don't need to do that. The growth mindset is how we want to teach our kids. It's all about working hard. Nothing comes easy to us in life. There's no more uh, you know, safe spaces, as we can say. That's not reality. That's not life. We need to work hard. I'm trying to teach my children that nothing comes easy. If you came in third place, there's a reason why you came in third place because two other people in front of you were better than you. And there's nothing wrong with that. Do you want to be as good as them? Then you need to work harder and you need to commit and you need to figure it out. So for me, this book was amazing. The fixed mindset versus the growth mindset. And Jake and I- Do you know how healthy that is to tell a kid that? Honestly, then, it, then just well, like, it oh, is. you're okay, sweetie. No, you're just as good. No. Like, that's not, and, that's not healthy. No. Right? And, and Jake, yeah. there's another thing. You don't want to tell kids that they're really smart because it has nothing to do with being really smart. Look at all the people who are really super successful in this life. They're not all geniuses. They just really worked hard. They knew what they wanted. And that's what I want my kids to do. I want my kids to work really hard, be really intentional, and give it their best and get better every day. That's what we're here on this planet to do. Every day, we're Constant getting improvement. a little bit better. Yeah. And if we're not getting better we're dying. If we're not growing, we're dying. And I think this book really outlined it to me. I was like, wow, because I'm always figuring out why are some people so successful and some people aren't. With the fixed mindset, you're not, you're not wanting to take chances because you don't want to fail, right? It's amazing that when you don't want to fail, you always have that excuse. But having the growth mindset, being a pizza guy, having pizza sauce on my shirt, I had nothing to lose. I wanted to learn. I wanted to put myself out there and I wanted to get better every day. And that's what I continued to do. I just continued to put myself out there and I continued to grow and you fail forward. And that's what I ended up doing. So this book is awesome, everybody. Gino, it's managers versus leaders. Mm -hmm. Put yourself into the school system. Go get a six-year degree in college. They will kick you out a manager. Go and search you into corporate America. Look at all the greats. None of them really went to college. They went out there and they were leaders and they grew the company by bootstrapping. So I think that's a huge difference. It's a great mm-hmm. point. So look, this is, this is the more of the power of multifamily investing. We have a vertically integrated business. We, we control the management. We control the asset management. We, we control all the, the entire investing arm, the finding the deals, you know, the, the relationships with the investors, the relationship with the banks, um, and, and also the education piece. So I think one of the the beautiful things about multifamily is, yes, it's a team sport. You can really systematize a business around, you know, multifamily investing and grow. You know, people are saying, well, what can I be doing right now? You know, maybe you don't need to start a podcast. Maybe you can start a blog and, and, you know, work SEO if if that's your your background and, and do these things to help, you know, bring investors and people into your community and create a community. There's so many people that are doing this. And, you know, uh, the books, Gina just held up the honeybee right there. You know, it's, it's, it's a book about our vertically integrated system. So, and, and the lending arm of it. I mean, there's, there's so much that you can do within this business. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm just fortunate to say that, you know, a lot of people 
freaked out when Corona first hit. A lot of people fired a lot of employees. Um, you know, I'm very fortunate. And I think the thing I'm most proud of is that we took a step back. We said, let's see where this thing goes. We had a state of the union with all of our employees. And we said, look, our number one commitment to you is that we're going to do everything in our power to make sure that no one gets laid off and to keep this thing going. And that's, that's the kind of, you know, culture we're able to build because of this vehicle. And that's why I keep going back that it's, you know, it's, it's about the vehicle. Jay, it's about the vehicle. Five minutes. We five got minutes. You, man. Well, we got like another two hours, hours to go here, but I guess we'll get cut off for five minutes. So, you know, I did not I want to cut you off. You guys yeah. are rolling some things in the chat. Uh, people are loving this. Cindy's a teacher. Hey, do we want to, so we, you know, we can, we can kind of, um, you know, and, zoom through this. do we want to take questions? I mean, is yeah. it going to be more impactful to answer some folks' questions? Yes, yeah, so let's do that, bro. That sounds like a good All idea. Right, so we got, we got a few questions here. John, Jason, can you recommend any resources for doing a deep dive on financing multifamily? Financing multifamily. Well, you know what? I can give you uh, Will at Rancap. If you want to reach out to me, Gino, Jake. And Free Gino. consultation, baby. Yeah. I mean, Will at Rancap does mortgages for us and for our students. I can put you in contact with him um, and he can take it away. He'll do a call with you and he'll educate you on financing. If you have a deal, you want to share a deal with him, he can give you some quotes on the deal. But it always first starts out, with, like I said, you have to figure out if you're educated, you have to figure out if the deal works and he can help you on that. Yeah. I think the key, it's, it, it's like anything. I mean, you're going to you want to have a calculator, right? You want to have some sort of analyzer, you know, for your deal that, that takes the income expenses, actual, you know, income, do your budget on the expenses. Here's one key too. This is, this is probably gonna be the most important thing I say, you know, because the rest of it was crap, right? Listen, if you're underwriting a deal, make sure that you do a real budget on your expenses. Yes. Okay. So many times we hear people, oh, well, I'll underwrite a deal and use a 50% rule. No, no, we, we want to know actual income versus actual expenses. And that's a budget. Do the work, create the actual budget, work with a mortgage broker who's going to bring in and say, hey, right now we're at 3.75% interest rate. We're, we're benchmarking this against a, a 30-year amortization. We're going to give you two years interest only. So you know, it's a very broad question that your friend asked there. But I think that the, the key is that you're going to want to know, okay, what, am, what are my parameters? It's just like underwriting the deal. What am I trying to hit for a cash on cash return? What is my debt service coverage ratio needs need to be? The bank's probably going to you know, supply that for you. Okay. Um, what, what are my reserves? So you have to factor that in. You know, each state is different. Each, each county is different. What are the taxes going to be after I've owned this thing for day one or, or in, in, you know, in, in like Tennessee in our area? It's, they, they have a three-year cycle where they reassess. So it's factoring in all these components. But look, you want to make sure you, you're getting the best rate. Obviously, you know, we like the AM getting stretched out because we like the cash flow. Try to get some interest only if that fits with you know, what you're looking to do. Um, hopefully that's, that's somewhat helpful. But I definitely think you know, Will can you know, free, free, uh, you know, kind of call with you and, and take a deeper dive there. So that's awesome. So for, this is another John, there's a lot of John's asking questions. John, uh, Guzman. Are they I'll fake? Are they John Doe's? Are these plants? No, John, John <laughs> Guzman. I think I'm, I'm saying that right. What is the first step in buying a multifamily if you don't have enough money to put down, put it as a down payment? Yeah, it's all about value, right? You know, I think, I think it's selecting the market, number one. And then if you don't have the money, you have to be a value creator. So like for, you know, for myself, I didn't have enough money to buy a multifamily deal or the knowledge. So, you know, I was in a market that, you know, Gino liked after I moved and we partnered up. I think multifamily, you should see within the Jake and Gino community, there's been so many amazing partnerships that have, you know, people have come together. They've attended a boot camp together. They've, they've found similar values because I think the key with partnerships, you have to have the same sort of, you know, moral compass. Everyone's got to be aligned, you know, with the, the same morals. But also, do you want to fix and flip or do you want to buy and hold? You have to have the same goals in mind. 
and that same kind of long-term vision where the partnership's not going to work. So I think the the key on partnerships is is that that vision, you know, where are we going and, and making sure that you're on the same page with the moral compass. So the really quick, just to just to think of this creatively, right? On our third deal, Jake was stealing from his grandparents. I was stealing from my home equity. I paid him back quick too. <laughs> we I promise have, you. We didn't have the money. We had a partner who lent us five hundred thousand dollars as part of the down payment at five percent. Jake actually got paid a two percent acquisition fee because he's freaking awesome. He's a rock star. We paid him an acquisition fee to do the deal, a $4 million deal, because he was boots on the ground. He went to the broker. He went to the banker. He was running the property. He was running everywhere. He was worth every penny. We would not have gotten that deal if it wasn't for Jake. So maybe you bring that tremendous amount of value to somebody else, right? And then you roll that, that act fee in as part of equity, right? That's what we did. We also let the broker take a $50,000 note for his commission because we didn't have 50 grand. So the broker said, you know what? I'll take, I'll, I'll take a note. I'll get 500 bucks. And where do we pay the 500,000? And where do, you, where do we pay the $50,000 note when we refied a million six out of it on the first go around? So you think it was worth it? So it's whatever you need to do, however you need to be creative in this business to do that. And I'm telling you, freaking awesome. It was, it was an amazing deal for us. Life-changing deal. We didn't get stuck on, and it wasn't a limiting belief, we don't have the money. The question is, where are we going to get the money? It wasn't we don't have it because we didn't have it. We figured on how are we going to make this thing happen, and that's what it comes down to. But we had two smaller deals before, and we learned. Remember I just said the small deals? They gave us the confidence, and they gave us the ability to find a partner who had the confidence in us to get into that third deal. So if we had started with 136 units, we wouldn't be here talking. I will guarantee you that. So don't listen to everyone by saying you have to go big. You don't have to go big. You have and to go finding big. yeah, finding the right deals. You know, doing the creative financing. Um, I, I think those those are all huge. Owner financing, right? And then partnering. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how an hour and fifty minutes will just fly by. But we've we've got one other question here. Well, we actually have eleven other questions, but I want to uh, this be the last one. You guys wrap up. Um, Jason Bucks. As an LP, how can you, he asked, as an LP, how can you keep track of and verify the legitimacy of a GP's spending and expenses? Hmm, Jake, that's comes No, down, I think, comes I, I think you sponsor, should be right? getting those reports every month. Yeah. I think the key is that like, you know, um, you know, we even have uh, like open office hours with Mike Taravella, who's our asset manager. So like on Fridays, you know, you can ask him anything. You can come in and, and say that. So like, I think if you're worried about something, Say okay, send me. You should be getting income statements. I would, I would hope at, at least. I mean, I'm not going to assume anything in this world, but I, ho- I hope you're getting income statements. And then, if you're concerned, you know, with those income statements, I would try to also, you know, look at what's going in the bank accounts. Hey, I'm you know, feeling a little uneasy, or I just like to, you know, do the Ronald Reagan trust but verify. Can you know? Can I see you know, copy of the bank statements? You know, you are an owner, so I think that it would be, you know, it'd be odd if, you know, no one would, uh, you know, provide that. And I, I think the key here to look out for as well. And this is the thing that scares me over the last few years is that, you know, as an LP, guys are raising a ton of money. Guys, gals raising a ton of money, putting in their deals. This is important, everybody. Listen to this because I yeah. know where he's going with this. Well, really yeah. important. Yeah. And so they're, they're raising a ton of money and then they're guaranteeing an 8% preferred return. Is the deal truly kicking off an 8% preferred return or are they pulling additional funds from the money that they raised from you to pay you back? Now, the key to this is that most likely in, in the operating agreement or whatever, this is not illegal, but the deal itself isn't necessarily performing to that 8% preferred return. They're hoping that in two, three years from now, that those numbers, because they did the renovations, will catch up. 
Remember what we said before, buy in actuals. If you're getting an 8% preferred return from day one, is that deal on actuals from where you bought it throwing off that yield? Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to say this again so it sinks in. Look at the numbers. If you're getting an 8% preferred return on day one, do the math yourself and see if, if you bought this on, here's their income, here's their expenses, I'm going to throw my, my financing sandwich together. Is it an 8% preferred return? If it's not, just ask. How are you paying me back an 8% preferred return on day one? Because so many folks are getting caught in this. And then, look, I'm, I'm not saying that, that at some point they don't bridge the gap. But to me, it's a little, it's a little funny. You know, I, I like we don't do our deals like that. That's why, you know, look, we, we look at a lot of deals and make sure they work because I want to make sure that number on the front end is going to. And Jake, what so. I would say is challenge, challenge the syndicators. I was just on three investor webinars last night. We do quarterly webinars for all of our investors and all of our deals back to back to back. What Jake is talking about, the 12-hour day. Every quarter, we'll do an update on our properties. We'll show income for the three months and compare it to the three months prior. We'll have the owner draws. We'll have the expenses. We'll have the CapEx, what we spend on CapEx, whether it's a dog park, a gazebo, painting driveways, flooring. We have that in our investor webinars because we want to be transparent. So if there's bad news, we want to stay ahead of it. We want to be in front of it to let our investors know that something's going on. We don't want to put our head in the sand. We've learned from that mistake. You want to hit head, you want to hit things head on. And it's a, it's important to convey that. So maybe you ask the syndicator, hey, what about putting a little presentation together? What's been going on for the last three months? See what they say. Got nothing to lose by asking. Yeah. And that's, awesome, um, guys. we were talking before about, so you see jakeandgino.com there. If you do want the credibility book, I'm sorry, jakeandgino.com forward slash honeybee. That's that. That's where the B is. We got some some you know great podcasts over there. And if you guys want to check out the uh, the credibility book, the G Dad is a nice man and he gives it away for free. So, hey Helms, this is being <laughs> recorded, right? Jack asked if this is being recorded. Correct? Yeah. So this is being recorded. They will all the sessions uh, from today and tomorrow will be available at a later date. But so yes, Jake right now is going to go. He's going to go change a diaper. He's going to go make dude, a peanut butter jelly sandwich. He's going to make a little. It's been a long week, dude. I really hope <laughs> his, his ass is clean right now because I do not want any part of that. <laughs> Mean little kid, man. He really is in so many ways. Dude, he's so awesome. Are you kidding me, man? I am the godfather. He's the godson, so he is awesome. He can do no wrong. Here's the funny thing, because I know he's got to go, and Jay's going to kick us out of here. But before my son was born, he was the G-Daddy. I always called Gino the G-Daddy. And then he became the godfather to my son, so he officially became the G-Daddy. He's got a T-shirt to prove it. So, Dude, he's awesome. He's awesome, bro. Jake, I, I, love him. I, got, a, I got a feeling. I don't know you that well, but I, I got a feeling that karma is coming back around. Is that, is that fair? <laughs> yes, I have a feeling, too, actually. Dude, come on, man. <laughs> We're working hard this week, all right? Uh, <laughs> uh, I understand. I understand. No, I love my kids. Mr. My, Helms, my son every day. We want to thank you for having us on. This is a pleasure. <laughs> this rounded off the week really well for us. I really enjoyed awesome. being on. I love talking to Mr. Hey, Stanley. and get us the link too, because we got to put the money in. We got to put our money where our mouth is. So get us yes. the link so we can oh, put yeah, some money yeah. in. So, so. so you can actually uh, make it real easy for you. You can text 41404. Uh, put in W2CAP. So text W2CAP to 41404 and instantly you'll get a uh, response with a link and a fancy, net Fancy, fancy, fancy. Like fire in the hole. Right? Fire in the hole. Last night I was geeking out when they got set up and I was seeing how it all was going to work. So yeah, it, uh, trying to make it easy. So 41404, right? it'll send us the link. Working your ass off last night, right? That's oh, yeah. Make it yeah, happen, yeah. so... Yeah, hey, yeah. and you know some things that everyone knows that like that follows us. I love Chick Fil A, and Jay's like, you guys got the, you guys got to go. <laughs> Listen, you know Chick Fil A is a great, great example of amazing customer service at a great price. 
here's the cool thing. We're putting up a we're putting up a thousand bucks right now. When I go to Chick Fil A, so many times someone pays for my lunch in front of me, and then you got to pick it up and keep it rolling. So whoever's out there, pick it up. Let's keep this money rolling. Let's hit a hundy. Let's hit a hundo, right? Hundy, hundy thousand oh, bucks, man. Let's go. So that'd be incredible. That'd be incredible. Thank you guys so much. Thanks, Jay. A lot of nuggets. I mean, you guys just dropped a bunch of bombs. I love seeing the chats come in. People getting chills, firing people up. Thank you again very much. Very surprised by the donation. Looking forward to seeing what you guys have come out in the future. Let's Thank go. You. Thanks, everybody. Guys, have a great weekend. Have a great rest of the event. And we're here. Jake and Thanks, Jay. Thanks, Phil. Thank you, guys.